The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our PC. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome to the Boston Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We're recording this on a Wednesday, which means it's only two days away from Friday. And so, hell, you could already be on your way down the Cape for a barbecue, or you could be stuck in traffic on Route 93. I had a buddy of mine who was stuck in traffic in uh, Newton today and said, I can't even get to my office. The road is closed. And I said, easy solution, turn around, go back to bed. That's what you should do. But in the meantime, you're listening to the Boston Podcast, which is the city's only independent daily Monday through Friday podcast that I have discovered so far in my podcast journey. It's the only one I know of. If someone has one, uh, I submit you, my friend. I throw down my gloves and I say, come join me here at our podcast bunker in Westwood, Mass. At pod617.com where you can have your own podcast and uh, let's talk. Let's talk. But I have kept my guest waiting long enough. He's sitting here quite patiently and quite uh, professionally and astutely and austerely. And it's David Berg, my good friend David Berg. So please say hello, my friend. Hi, David. How are you today? Very good. Davids are wild, which is, which is great. You can never have too many Davids. No, um, absolutely not. Do you like being a David? Um. I mean, versus the other alternatives, sure. I versus mean, like, uh, you know, I don't Sven like or Chad or yeah. <laughs> Ralph. Yeah. Yeah, Ralph would be unfortunate. Uh, David is an agent for New York Life Insurance Company and the owner of Berg Financial and Insurance Solutions. And by the way, while I'm plugging, 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 you can reach David directly on his cell phone, 508-404-8881. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. First off, though... The uh, compliance police have alerted David, and this is not a bad thing. This is what happens when you're in the industry, because I was in it, and uh, you have a, uh, some language that you have to read just before we get started. I'm trying to take the, uh, the uh, attitude out of my voice. Uh, yeah, my, my attitude's got to stay out of the voice, too. I know. And, you know. Let's play nice. So make the compliance people happy. The materials discussed in this program is meant for general information purposes only. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that the individual situations can vary. Individuals should consult their professional advisors regarding their particular situations. Neither the information presented nor any opinion expressed constitutes or represents by us or a solicitation for purchase or sale of any specific product. Berg Financial and Insurance Solutions is not owned or operated by New York Life Insurance Company. How'd I do? Uh, the crowd seems to like it. I'd also like to remind everyone that uh, the, the, what you're about to hear is a licensed property of Major League Baseball. No redistribution, re-recording, or retransmission of this program is permitted under any circumstances. Also, we'd like to alert you to the fo- following safety re- regulations here at Fenway Park. Any fan entering the field at any time, whether you're nude or not, will be ejected from the premises. I think it went something like that. So I should put my jacket back on? T- <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a great thing about podcasting. Yes. You can, you can mention that you're not wearing pants on any time, and people don't know whether you're kidding. 
Uh, so we got a lot of stuff to get to with David, who's a good good friend of mine. I know him through professional circles, and we're going to talk about how he helps his clients. Um, but before we get there, we want to start off with uh, the segment on this show where we tell you what we think you should be listening to, consuming on your phone or on your TV or reading or listening to audiobooks or any of that business. And we call this thing Good Stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. All right. Could listen to that all day long. It's got quite a nice beat. You can definitely dance to it. So you got a good one, David. So would you like to start with your entry for good stuff? I understand that there is a uh, good book that you've read recently. And for those of our listeners who don't know what a book is, uh, it's made of paper. It's got a binder type thing. You flip through it. It's really quite nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been actually trying to convince my kids that it, they won't bite back. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm sitting in my room doing something, and they, they said the TV's not on, the phone's not going, and w- 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 why would you do that? Right, so, <laughs> right. Um, they got this thing now where when they read, quote-unquote read, they don't necessarily read. Like, they, you know, they listen to an audio, you know, version of it, and... They can put it on like 1.5 speed, yeah. so that person is talking really fast, and somehow they get it all. And like, oh my god, wow, we're really through the looking glass here with this stuff. I did that once, and I literally started crying because <laughs> I couldn't understand what they were saying. Yeah. And of course, you know, my son, who's a technology guru in the house, I said, "Can you fix this?" No, right? You know, of course he could have, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I never understood that. So. Right, it's weird. So tell us, uh, yeah, tell us about this book. So. The latest book I read, and it was actually uh, referred to me by a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. It was called "Why Buddhism Is True" by Robert White. Mm-hmm. Or right, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm thinking about converting to Buddhism. No, n- not really. Um, <laughs> that was my follow-up question. It's interesting. It, it talks about mindfulness and um, and meditation. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is is Robert uh, Robert Wright basically says in the opening that if you ever thought about meditating but thought there's no way you can do it, I'm the guy you should be listening to because I'm the guy that's you know having road rage and and he's not you know he admittedly not like what he calls a tree hugger right um, and um, you know I, I was just looking it was at a time you know, just recently when the time of my life I'm trying to sort of settle. Myself down always seemed to be running in, in a bunch of different places yeah. and stressed all over the places. And a friend had suggested that I read this book. And, um, you know, I, I can't say that I've, you know, totally followed through with it yet. But I think when you think about it, you know, kind of getting yourself out of out of your own day-to-day stress and sort right. of looking at the stress from a different way and looking at things that are going on from a different way and what you control and what you can't control, it's mm-hmm. actually kind of helpful. It's great. It's great. And so... Is it, um, does this book get like super deep or, or does it give you more sort of everyday ways you can be a little bit more Buddhist and be a little bit more chill? Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's the latter. Okay. I mean, I think the, the guy talks about going to retreats would sound like a really good idea, but he's really talking about the, the concept more than the actual execution. And mm-hmm. through that concept, I think you can kind of pull it into your own day-to-day life and, uh, you know, help you. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing these beads. I'm not sure that they work. Oh, wow. Those are cool. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, so David's got these beads. It, it looked, to me, it looks like it, it's got um, 
some stud. No, I call them studs. I don't know. They're 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 not diamonds, but they're some sort of gems, and they're know. on what looked to be kind of a velvety kind of thing. I don't know. It, yeah. It's very cool. It's kind of Middle Eastern. It's not cheesy. Um, I always struggle with. I like wearing jewelry. I'll now admit on this podcast for the first time, but I struggle because as a man, sometimes it's difficult oh, to yeah. wear jewelry without looking cheesy. You right. know, and uh, so I applaud you. Yeah, well, thank you. Right. And everyone here in the studio audience applauds you as well. Yes, thank you. He's taking a bow. So, um, and, uh, all right, so the name, remind us the name of the book because people may want to. Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright. Okay. And so the dude is a Buddhist, I take it. No. He's not a Buddhist. No. Okay. No, but he talks about Buddhism in, in this, the sense of the teachings, of the meditations, and, and really that's what he's he's really. Does he compare at. it to other religions, and for the purposes um, of showing why the other ones are wrong? <laughs> no, and I don't think that's that's what he's actually trying to do. He's okay. not basically saying that Buddhism is right, and then being you know Jewish, which I am, yep. is wrong. Me too. Yeah. He's just basically saying you know why Buddhism had it right with sort of the med- meditations and the mindfulness. Is that hmm. that's really what he's taking out of? I like it. it. He's not trying to convert you to Buddhism. Well, that, even better, yeah, uh, because it's like the there are. Let's all be honest and say there are parts of every religion that are good. Uh, I don't know if that statement's completely true. I mean, I'm trying to think, like, Satan worship or whatever. But, you know, um, you know <laughs> I mean, religion is uh, a weird thing, right? And sometimes it's even hard to talk about in mixed company, right? And, like, I remember uh, Ricky Gervais explaining why he became an atheist because when he was a young man, he was talking to his brother about God and the sacrament and all these things. And his brother said, you really believe in that stuff? And immediately the mom piped in and said, shh, hey, do not tell your little brother. Don't say that to your little brother. And so Ricky Gervais was like, well, the mom's reaction was kind of like, don't tell him that it's all bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Even though it is, right, we right. know it is, <laughs> but don't tell him. You're going to sell so, out Santa Claus yeah. too in the same, you know, same breath. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, but so it's, um, so every religion has, I think it's, it's sort of tr- things that have existed forever that, that maybe if we really are honest about things, don't actually make sense. As Jews, I think we can admit that Moses didn't actually part the Red Sea literally. Probably not. Did he? Yeah. I, I'm not thinking he did. But there are lessons and good things within there. And, you know, it's no secret that, um, have you been to Israel? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, so what a lot of, you know, as a Jew, we're required to, to go there, I guess, or something. Or <laughs> if, if you're a Jew and you haven't been to Israel, I feel bad for you because everyone must say, you've never, you've never been to Israel. Um, but oy. It, oy, oy, you got to get over there. It's wonderful. And it's not just a Jewish place, of, as, as you know, but right. some people don't know. It's, it's, it's basically the birthplace of, like, most modern religions that you can imagine. And right. so... And so a lot of them aren't that actually that far off, and they, you know, in in a way, shouldn't we be borrowing little precepts and principles from other religions? Right. Well, I mean, I, I, I hope not to offend, but I, yeah. I always joke with my my Catholic friends that uh, you know Judaism and Catholic Catholicism is really like Godfather Part One and Godfather Part Two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so right. You know, we just felt that. You know, the, as Jews, that part one stood on its own, and you know, the, <laughs> that's right. 
That's right. That would make um, Frankie Pantangeli Jesus, I think, because he was the character introduced in the second movie. I don't, I don't know. Now we're, now we're getting too uh, granular. Um, so I tried to think of a good stuff entry for me this morning that would maybe pick up on what you did. And so this is not about religion, although actually I'll, I'll mention as, a, as a, I'll drop a brief footnote. If, if you want sort of the opposite of what your book was, a real cynical look at religion. There's a documentary that Bill Maher did a couple of years ago called Religiosity. He basically goes around and makes fun of every religion, religion, wow. <laughs> and sort of point pokes holes. And it's easy to poke holes. Oh, it's really it's easy, it's easy right? to poke holes. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I'm bringing up, but maybe I'll talk about that on a different show. This is a documentary I saw at least a year ago. It's been on Netflix for a while. It's called so so. This is in keeping with the sort of spiritual spirituality theme of yours, David. But it's a, uh, these guys that wrote uh, a book called Minimalism, and they turned it into a documentary, or someone did anyway. And it's just about these two dudes that just practice, don't have a lot of stuff. Get rid of your stuff. Your stuff is holding you down. And so let's listen to the trailer so for Minimalism. so much time on the hunt. But nothing ever quite does it for us. And we get so wrapped up in the hunt that it kind of makes us miserable. Black Friday shopping mania is still playing out tonight at malls across America. High hopes of saving some big bucks on those holiday gifts. In some cases, it did turn violent. We've Black Friday lost our minds. There's no question that what it means to have achieved the American dream has increased tremendously in material terms. This is not something that just happened yesterday. This is something that has been sold to us over the past hundred years by those that want to make a whole lot of money. Now that's what I call a good-looking car. You have this thing that you were obsessed about, but then the new version comes out, and now you no longer care about the one you have. In fact, the one you have is a source of dissatisfaction. Now we're looking at people iPhones, of course. They've maybe been tricked. There is no out until you become aware. You're not going to get happier by consuming more. Ready? I was born ready. There's so nothing here, wrong with here are the two dudes going off and across the market. The problem is compulsory consumption. We're tired of it. We're tired of acquiring things because that's what we're supposed to do. Those are some pretty fancy sunglasses for a minimalist. Say, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just noticed taking that. Taking control of my life and stop being told what to do and actually deciding what I wanted to do. When I first started reducing the number of things in my life, I found out that I had 51 things in the entire world. We've probably sold or donated at least 90% of our staff. We're looking at a woman who lives in a super out. tiny house out in the woods somewhere. I finally realized what I had sacrificed. I don't know what the most common three words are in American homes. I don't know if it's, I love you, or if it's, I want that. <laughs> this same thing that's not making us happy is also causing the degradation of our habitat. We're going to have to give up a lot. The secret is that a lot of that we're not actually going to miss. What I found with minimalism is it's a way of saying, let's stop the madness. When you recognize that this life is yours, and that it is your one and only, and when that seeps directly in your bones, and you recognize that this is it, everything changes. All right. So you get it, right? You get the point. I usually don't stick with trailers that long, but that one was pretty good, and a lot of good audio. So, um, so I, I did watch this, and 
it's uh, the the trailer speaks more to sort of the concept of minimalism. And like, what was your reaction, David, when you heard the guy say, "I I only have fifty one things." Uh, you know, the fifty one things were a uh, Toyota car and designer glasses. So I mean, <laughs> you, you wonder if he's just as much of a hypocrite as people who, you know follow other religions potentially well the so. yeah the the designer glasses do stick out like a sore thumb but I, I think what he would say would be that that's happens to be one of the things that bring him joy and so okay. he's gonna have one set of one pair of sunglasses that he loves and if it breaks he'll throw it away and buy another one i guess he, the movie gets into other sort of details like the dude is like you know uh i only have five shirts and i only have five pairs of underwear and that's it and so and it's weird they look kind of nicely dressed and right, so right. the and you wouldn't you wouldn't notice that so but what the the overall point being once he got rid of all his stuff um he just felt a a burden lifted like it oh, would yeah. yeah so well do, i mean do you have a lot of stuff could you imagine getting down to 51 things um i i would suggest that getting down to 51 things if you're counting each uh, each thing of clothes would be a little more difficult. Yeah. But that's be- not because I buy a lot of clothes. It's because I, you know, 56 years old and just collect stuff over the years. Well, r- um, right. But I could get oh, rid of it Oh, but they all. would say, okay, you could. Yeah, I could get rid of it. I, I think that, um, I, I, I like the concept, but I also like the concept of unplugging. I think we've become a society that's just so plugged in yeah. and so driven by, social media and our, our phones and things that, and, you know, and I see it with my three teenagers and, um, yeah, I, I think there's just something to be said about that. And it is not to, to, to go straight to hyperbole street. It is not a stretch. One could argue that bad things going on in our society now that we thought we had under control. And I'm talking about racial violence. I'm talking about school shootings and things like that are maybe a symptom of a society that is detached and is looking at screens a shitload more than we used to instead of looking into people's faces and instead of going out for a walk with a friend, you know, I'll just, you know, stay in and, you know, keep texting my friends as I'm also watching, you know, reruns of friends on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, but as a cynic too, I think is it is it that we're getting so much more information? Is it that we're so much more violent now, or is it that we're exposed to the violence a lot more? Fair question. I mean, you look back in the yep. '60s and all the things that were going on, anti-war mm-hmm. protests. You saw some of that, but you didn't see it really at, at every protest across the country. And now you pick up your phone, you, you know, depending on you know which way you're leaning, you can see you know, all of the bad things that are going on. Right. And people speak of Trump like a a radical, insane leader. I'm not going to even go down that road, but uh, he is. But uh, and like it, like it's something weird. But throughout the course of history, there have been radical, insane leaders. It's it's a fact. I mean, right. right? I mean, every every hundred years or maybe more frequently, someone like this comes along. But but we're more aware of it now. And we didn't used to have the, the leader of the free world tweeting us, you know, several times an hour. But Nevertheless, we got off uh, field. So this minimalist concept is particularly important to me. As of two days ago, David, if, if you'll uh, entertain me, uh, if you'll indulge me, is what I meant to say, uh, in a brief story. You, I have headphones you got a little on. Oh, Where you am get, I going? <laughs> Lock the doors. He can't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm channeling the dude from a Bronx tale. Now you can't leave. 
Uh, so what happened was I'm sitting there in my apartment and uh, I was I had a couple hours in the morning before I had to head over to the studio here. I was on my laptop editing podcasts as I will do and the uh, knock on the door and let's do a sound effect. That sounded realistic. And I this said, is high class. Yeah, this is great. And I could have had a, a knock sound effect, but uh, why bother? So. Um, the woman's is a young woman there with a clipboard and she says, we're here for the renovations and I'm in my bathrobe and I'm like, okay, what renovations might those be? (laughs) She said, well, we sent an email, we gave you 30 days notice. And what I wanted to say was you people at my apartment complex send a lot of emails and a lot of them are about like an ice cream social or remember to park in the blue zone and not the red zone. And after a while I started ignoring a lot of those, but I didn't say that. I said, okay, tell me what it was. So she said, we're replacing the floors. And so, you know, uh, in uh, your kitchen and living room and bathroom, and I'm like, well, my first thought was, that's great. We could use new floors in this place. But I'm like, all right, well, what do I have to do? Clean up, uh, put aside any loose items because we'll move the furniture around. But so like anything that was on top of anything, I'm like, all right, I can do this. I can do it in 20, 30 minutes or so. Can you give me that much time? She goes, yeah, yeah, 20, 30 minutes. We'll start down the hall and then we'll come over to your place. I'm like, fine. And I go back and look at the email because sure enough, there was an email and it said, here's what you need to do to prepare for the renovations. Turns out she undersold it when she saw me in person. What it really entailed was replacing all of the kitchen cabinets. So the whole friggin' kitchen, pretty much, they're going to tear up all the cabinets um, in addition to a few things in the bathroom. So basically any item that I had kept in any kitchen cabinet, uh, and now we're talking like, you know, every piece of glassware and and I keep other crap in there too that, you know, like files and like, you know, my passport, which I, I need to remind myself. I'm not sure where my passport is right now because it was in there somewhere. So, okay. So we're talking about- of Scooby-Doo cups. Oh, yeah. Cups and, and, you know, old magazines and old newspapers and things that I thought I needed at some point. Where did this come from? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for 45 minutes, I am like a crazy person. It's a miracle I didn't shatter like 10 glasses on the floor because I'm literally putting glassware into like garbage bags and then shuffling them off to my bedroom, which was the only room they weren't going to work on. So within 45 minutes, I had my whole world, you know, packed up. But it's a good thing because now that I tote them out of my bedroom and and put them in our my brand new spanking cabinets, which should be done today by the time I get, by the time I get home, um, I'm gonna uh, have a discerning eye and all that crap. It'll be, it'll be great. It'll be the great purge of Dave's life. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. I actually, um, I think as you well know, uh, I went through a divorce in the last year or two. Yes, and, we're brothers in arms. And. Uh, Talking about the great purge, I, I'm more of a minimalist than my ex-wife was. She was okay. more of a collector. I don't know. I, I actually don't know where the line is between collector and hoarder. Right. But um, it I depends. Really careful saying that yeah. word, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yes. Right. Well, but um, yeah. And so I found that it was so therapeutic, kind of going through things, and we mm-hmm. we cleaned out garages and and, and everything, and it. I don't know. I just found looking at that, that pile of trash and then getting and that pile of trash being gone and all of that being gone. It's just so therapeutic. Yep. So yeah, yeah, I'm, it's such I'm a, on board. Right. It's such a pain to think. By the way, I'm I'm ready next time you try to use that word. I'll be ready with the sound effect. But the the thought of doing that and the thought of like I swear I cleaned up my closet like four months ago and I look in there and it's still a complete mess. I I don't know where I let myself down, but. 
the thought of it is it kind of weighs like uh, you know a ball and chain around your neck like yeah. to think about like i gotta cl- uh, i gotta clean out the garage i gotta clean out this once you do it it just feels so good and it's and it's it's cool because it's not like it it's just sort of like you've you've accomplished something def- definable in in your life that day right I, I got my cars in the garage and I couldn't stop snapping pictures. Oh yeah, uh, I hadn't had the cars in the garage in almost fifteen years. Mm-hmm. How great is that? Yeah, yeah. They uh, I just have a one car garage, but that's why I'm forced every uh, year to do a clean out so I can fit the thing in there when it snows because right. that's what you need. All right, so um, thank you for listening to uh, that edition of uh, Good Stuff um, and Real Good Stuff and in Life Changing Stuff. Thank you, David Berg. Let's um, let's take a break for a minute. I'm going to tell you about another one of the podcasts we have on our network, which you should be listening to. I'm clearly stalling now. Let me take a minute to tell you about a podcast you should be listening to. Are You Not Entertained? Featuring, featuring Eddie Nathanson of Red Pill Talent. All episodes appear on pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Eddie talks to some of the best experts in employer branding across our country. Companies need talent. Ed finds out how to stand out in this crowded field and attract the right people, but he also has a crazy amount of fun blasting you with pop culture from Spider-Man to Seinfeld, from Tom Brady to Bobby Brady, from Terminator 2 to Tupac Shakur. Subscribe, so easy for me to say. Please subscribe, share, and consume this delicious pod. Are you not entertained? At pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, in pod, we trust. His most recent edition... He did a. He usually does a, a, a topic of uh, something that just interests him, and he did his last one on his love for his summer camp, which I happen to attend the same camp, so it was fun for me. But then he did a rant about social media sinners and all the um, annoying habits that certain people have on Facebook, like alerting you what the weather is like and uh, and other thing, another thing. and then what and, to eat. Oh, good lord! Like, yeah, um, I think I've done that once or twice in my life, and both times I did it, I felt. I felt dirty. Felt I dirty, felt, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. <clears throat> I did it because... Pull out like, the sc- metal scrub brush. Yeah, it'll be yeah. like you're on vacation and you get a particularly oh, fancy please. meal and you're like, yeah, I'm going to take a picture of this and then I'll stop and I go, oh my God, I'm that person. Yeah. Um, yeah, do they realize we can't taste the food when you post the picture? You know, we can, it's we not can't. even that. Do we realize we don't care? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> Who cares? It's funny you say that because that episode, we used a graphic which someone on the internet had... Uh, compiled of a um an astounded looking nicholas cage with the caption being we don't care so oh, there awful. you go you're so you're what spotting. camp did you go to what what did i go to what camp camp tel noir our camp okay. of golden pleasure in Hampstead, new hampshire nice yes we do uh we do their podcast here at pod 617 it's called it's called 10 for two now can you imagine why a uh, summer camp uh podcast would be called 10 for two would you like to guess all I can think is ten campers for two, two counselors. That's actually not a bad guess. Yeah, incorrect though. Uh, the correct, the right, the the correct answer. Hey, will you leave the sound sound effects to me, please? Thank you. Um, just for that, I'm going to give you another one. <laughs> Sorry, David. So ten for two just means the kids love camp so much that they live those ten months out of the year for the two the payoff of the two months they get to spend at summer, which. It, at its very core, is a little depressing, actually. That's, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's really cute. <laughs> it's cute, though. So uh, I don't want the uh, time to go by without letting you know what 
David does because he happens to be very good at it. So your practice focuses on a particular area need. Uh, when I was a financial advisor, I tried to focus on the special needs world. Um, yours is obviously not that Well, Maybe not obviously not that, but tell us about it. So although I'm an agent, I don't really manage traditional assets, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I let, I let other people worry about the day-to-day movements of markets. What I do is I, I work with my clients in reducing risk. Mm-hmm. And um, I do that through um, use of generally insurance and insurance-related products. Um, you know, incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful stuff. It's, I actually spent about, before I, before I got into this, this world about 10 years ago, I spent about 25 years in different area of financial services mm-hmm. and um, just felt like insurance was, you know, boring. You call up an 800 number, you get some insurance and be all set. Yeah, not just really selling underst- products. Yeah. Not really understanding sort of, you know, structurally how life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, all can be, you know, used together mm-hmm. in really, you know, helping out people to reduce the risk, but really, you know, achieve their goals, even if unforeseen things don't ha- unforeseen things happen to them. So, right, right, right. And, um, I guess you told us why I was, I was going to ask sort of the question as to why you focus on that, but, but you do use certain products to accomplish these goals, right? So like, what, what are we talking about here? Well, it's, it's generally, um, like I said, life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care, uh, uh, strategies and it's really it, it really it's it's all types of strategies right because there's probably hundreds and hundreds of different products and and things uh, that are out there but it's really getting into the client's mind and sort of understanding what their goals are working with them to help them try to achieve that not necessarily force my my beliefs on them and I right. just and what, what's what's good about it is, you know, if we do if I do my job correctly, I've I've really taken a big weight off my clients because mm-hmm. a lot of times people are walking around and they're worrying about, um, you know, their retirement accounts, their you know what's going to happen if you know their parents, all of these types of things. And when you look at when you look at these these issues, a lot of them can be, you know, the, the, those risks can be set aside by. By other companies, the insurance companies, if you will. So, mm-hmm. and I think the insurance companies get a bad rap sometimes, and I don't think that they necessarily need to. So, yeah. Now, a lot of people would say, "Dave, you sound like a nice guy, but I'm not sure we need to talk." I've I've got a little life insurance. My company provides it. I'm all set. If someone says that, is there still value in talking to you about the plan? I think it always is, and it, it's an interesting story about that. Is um, I had a, a have a very good friend who. Said, yeah, you know, same, similar thing. He said, you, he wanted to talk to me, but he said, yeah, I've got the life insurance through my company. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I remember one Saturday afternoon, there's, there's a knock at the door. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, his family and my family were good family. You know, Wait, hold friends. on. Thank there you. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to, you know, jump in there and do that <laughs> knock myself. I already got myself in trouble once. I'm getting pretty good at it. I, I know. Yeah. It's very yeah. good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and he said that they were, you know, he took a new job and he was moving to New York. And he grabs me. He goes, "Can you know, we talk." And I said, "Sure, what's up?" Uh, you remember you told me that I should probably look at some 
you know, personal life insurance. It's like, yeah. He goes, I need it now. Hmm. He goes, I lost my insurance when I left that company, and my other company doesn't have it. So, I mean, I, I think we always work that into our calculations. But you change jobs, you move around those those types of insurance. But is he better? But what? So would he have been better off talking to you earlier? In other words, he would have been a, probably a couple of years younger. So yeah, maybe, so maybe a, little a little bit, bit a little bit. But you know, again, if you wait too long, and you might only have so much coverage at your at uh, your company, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's looking at the overall thing and what it's covering, right? I mean, right. It, you know, it may not cover what you need it to cover. You know, is it important for you to uh, pay for your kid's college education? Is it important for you to uh, pay for your kids? You know, weddings. Do you want to leave something to them? All these types of things, mm-hmm. um, and you know, by addressing those, um, you know what what your dreams are. Uh, you know, you can make sure that those things happen. Right. So now, someone like me, uh, getting kind of old in the tooth here, Dave. Just hit fifty, and uh, I got a kid on the way to college. I got another kid who probably won't go to college. Adrian is going to do his own thing, um, but. <clears throat> I'm thinking once the kids, a lot of people think once the kids are older, it's like, oh, who gives a crap about my life? You know, uh, you know, I could, you know, drive off a pier and not too many people would bum out. Uh, but, but like, do you still, uh, like why still, I understand like if you have a spouse, you know, obviously you don't want to leave that spouse high and dry, but once the kids graduate, you know, or maybe college, you do. or maybe you do, <laughs> everybody's a little bit different. Yeah. But, uh, after your kids graduate college, like what, Things change, right, or do they? I think they do, and I think that I think that the shift comes to, you know, covering different risks, right? So, what happens if, you know, you become disabled? What happens if you can't take care of yourself? And also, the other question is, and it's interesting because I um, was working with a client who was in their seventies, mm-hmm. and. Um, she wanted some life insurance and I was talking to her about it. I was like, well, you know, why would you need that? Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I just want to be able to leave something to my, to my family. I said, we have plenty of assets. Right. And you got stuff. She, you've got it. And she Same said, money. well, but I'm afraid to spend it. Mm. And she goes this way, I can spend it. It's not going to spend it anyways, but, but it, it, it's, it's really the comfort of the insurance. It's yep. that, you know, that helps you to do, it, it helps you to do what you want to do with your life. Right. So, so um, we're a little bit up against the clock here, but um, you grew up in Michigan. I did. And so you told me that um, we were allowed to talk a little sports. And um, it's funny because um, <clears throat> on a different edition of this podcast, um, <clears throat> my friend Max and I did uh, attorney Max Perlman, uh, Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP, shout out. Uh, we did a draft of NBA, vil- just for fun, a, a draft of NBA villains, he and I. Okay. First pick, first pick in the draft, Dennis Rodman. Max, second pick was me, Bill Lambeer. Okay. Two Pistons, okay. right? I would have. So I would have thought it have been reversed. You but flipped that's those. Fine. Yep. Okay. So, t- so are you, are you indeed? Uh, you have D- Detroit sports flowing through your blood, or what? I absolutely am. I mean, mm. I, I've lived, I've lived in in Massachusetts now for actually more time than I was in Michigan. Mm-hmm. But you know, how do you take 
the 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 thoughts of as a kid you grew up you grew up here right yes correct I'm a boss so here. you know you, you the know, hard scrabble streets of Sharon Mass yes Oof. yeah I know it was and rough. you got out it was rough. <laughs> no I didn't I still live there that's the I feel irony like we should yes. be busting up some eight mile <laughs> stuff right now right <laughs> yeah Sharon isn't even eight miles across I don't think and um, and not a gangster in sight but anyway you were saying but yeah I mean so your childhood you grew up and and saw the green grass of Fenway Park and and that gets in your heart mm-hmm. and the same was with, with me with, you know, whether it was Tiger Stadium or the ice at, at Joe Louis Arena or Olympia Stadium even before that. Now, the Tiger Stadium was one of the old relics, right? Now now they play at Comerica, is Comerica, that right? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Have you been to Comerica? I have. Okay. And it's, look, I, I think it proves that at some point you need to move on. I mean, Tiger Stadium was in a was in a sort of a dilapidated area and it was, you know, in disrepair and they needed, mm-hmm. they needed a new stadium. They did a very nice job. Um, they did a very nice job with Comerica. I've I heard, also yeah. think that the the ownership team has done a fairly good job with Fenway Park. I mean, keeping a, a stadium uh, from, what, 1914 in the kind of shape it is. Although, yeah. although you're still, it's still, I was just talking to a friend of mine, you're still sitting down the, uh, the right field line uh, near the near the pesky pole, and your seats are faced literally. Facing yeah, I can't the sit there. I can't I, sit I, there. It's just brutal. Yeah, it's I. Uh, it's one of those things that if you have even a, a shred of a back problem, it's the kind of thing. Like after an inning or so, you might it'll hurt, and then it'll hurt even worse the next day. Like you're, I'm out. you're yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Like I have I have no prayer. I've, I've been struggling with my back for a few years now, but yeah, I was I was pro. Um, it sounds sacrilegious. I was pro tearing down Fenway and building a, a brand new gleaming stadium. You right. know, at the time Camden Yards had come around, kind of rewrote the book for these retro ballparks. There was actually a plan to build a new Fenway and rip down most of old Fenway except for the Green Monster. And the right. Green Monster would remain a monument that you would walk through on the way to the new Fenway. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. But I was, uh, I will uh, admit, I was wrong. They, the facelift that they've given the park has been remarkable, with certain exceptions, like the one you just mentioned. And by the way, I, I remember being at a, some kind of speaking event with, uh, I think her name is Janet Murray Smith, the architect who, who uh, was responsible for the renovation. And I forget what her answer was, but there was a good answer as to why you couldn't just rip up, like rip up the seats too. Put in new seats that face the correct way right. and, face, and that don't face out towards somewhere in center field. Um, but uh, I, Comerica, I've, I've heard, is great. The old Tiger Stadium, I remember uh, Brad Brad Osmus was quoted as saying, the only thing I'm going to miss are the showers because it was before the days, they were created before the days of any shred of water conservation. And so there are these huge like rain style, like you would pull the chain and gushes of water would come down you. He goes, I'm going to miss those. (laughs) Um, So greatest moment in in Detroit Tiger... uh, History or in your lifetime? Let's do that. Well, it, it, if you're talking about the Tigers, it's yeah. got to be uh, 1984, um, the uh, the World Series championship. So what a did, great team! 35 and five started off the year. So, if you direct your attention to the monitor, does this uh, does this look familiar? Hold oh. on, we need some audio here. What's going on? Oh yeah, right, here we go. So this is a, a visit to the mound. Goose Gossage is on the mound for the Padres. Yeah, beat, yeah, beat. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're talking about striking them out? Yeah. We don't want to walk you. We don't want to walk you. 
What a great manager, Sparky yeah. Anderson. So that's Sparky Anderson. This is great footage. The audio is a little rough, but Sparky Anderson is yelling to Kirk Gibson saying, he don't want to walk you. He don't want to walk you. And then he's got a big smile on his face, and here comes the goose, the wind-up. And bye. there it goes, Kirk bye. Gibson. Bye-bye. I don't think I've ever seen. What a great. Oh. <laughs> so Gibby is uh, celebrating going around the bases. I still got the Detroit news from that day with Gibson yeah. with that arms up. So that that was that that de facto clinched the World Series, right? That, That's right. That home run. That's right. Yeah, um, and this was uh, what year did you say? I forgot. Nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty four, with four years prior to Gibson hitting his more home, more famous home run off of uh, Eckersley. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, think about that. Is he going to be able to get around the bases? Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. His only at bat that series. I could talk about that home run forever. If you watch the replays, you can see the the brake lights of cars leaving yes. Dodger Stadium because people assumed they were going to lose, even though they were only down one run. Come on, right. Dodger fans. You're better than that. So, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew you would say this, I, I think, because uh, a friend of a friend is a diehard um, Detroit fan and Back in my days of college, I was visiting this guy at Purdue University. And, you know, late night, you know, we're having some burgers. And he had a a videotape of this home run. And he kept playing it over and over again, (laughs) going, yes, I'm just going to watch it one more time. I'm like, (laughs) all right, you know. Um, So um, that's a good pick. And you still root for the Tigers? Oh, yeah. It was was interesting. A couple years ago, um, when the Tigers are playing the Red Sox, Mm-hmm. Um, in the playoffs, remember that's the one where um, Poppy hit the home run, and uh, yeah, Tory Hunter flipped into flipped the into, flipped yeah. into the center field uh, bullpen. Yep, and so it was. It was really the first time that the Tigers had played the Red Sox in a meaningful playoff Post-season. since I've been out here. Yeah, and you know, I struggled with it. You know, yeah. mixed emotions up to it. It's like because I, I watched the Red Sox religiously every, mm. literally almost every game, and. Um, and I sort of let my heart decide, right? And it, it was you know I, I felt good. It was it was the Tigers. I I wasn't unhappy that the Red Sox won, but um, it's funny you say that. And I think that's a fan of the. You're a true passionate sports fan because um, pardon me, <clears throat> I'm getting choked up, David. No, I'm just coughing. Uh, so. The example I have is last year in the World Series, uh, my dad is a huge uh, Dodgers fan, started as a Brooklyn Dodger fan, and then as a young man moved to Brookline, Mass, and has been there for the majority of, well, been in Boston area for the majority of his life, raised us baseball fans, but we naturally became Red Sox fans, and he did too. So this guy's been rooting for the Red Sox for, you know... Uh, 50 years, but he's been rooting for the Dodgers for 65 years or whatever. Um, and he could not root against the Dodgers in the World Series. Yeah. It just all came back to him. And I kind of felt bad for him, believe it or not. Like, I, I mean, hell, I mean, Red Sox are bust. I could not muster any, even though I had rooted for the Dodgers as sort of my second team as a kid. I could muster no sentimentality for the Dodgers because it's not my team. It's just kind of like you, you latch on. It, th- those are important years as a young person, right? right? Getting right. to know the sport and getting to know the players and baseball cards and all that, right? Uh, I mean, that that was it. I mean, you know, how many hours did I spend in the upper deck at Tiger Stadium? How many yep. hours did I spend at, uh, you know, Joe Lewis Arena in row 40, which is the last, which was the last row oh, in, boy. Uh, um, in Joe Lewis? And... You know, you're How with much your do buddies? you think that ticket cost you at the time? 
Oh, the 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 Red, Red Wings were so bad back yeah. then that we used. You remember those uh, entertainment books? We used to I get those. But go ahead. Oh, like uh, the two for ones. Oh, okay, right. Yep. Used to be able like to get two for ones yep. for all the Red Wing games. Mm. So my buddy and I would get two for one. The tickets were probably like fifteen bucks. So we're in for seven and a half each. Yeah. yeah. And we're by the end of the first period, we're probably down near the glass. Yeah. So there's nobody there. I used to buy bleacher seats to Fenway. I mean, like it's it it you know you're getting old when you're the one rolling out the old the old guy cliche. Yeah. You know when you grow up, you always heard the old guy going, "I used to sit in the bleachers for twenty five cents," but I did used to sit in the bleachers for five bucks. I think five bucks. Yeah, yeah. Tiger Stadium upper deck three fifty. Yeah. Of three. course, unless they were closed down because of riots, but we don't. Think about that. <laughs> At least you're not responsible for a disco demolition night. That was that was Chicago. That was outstanding, though. <laughs> Such a great story. Um, there's uh, there's a thirty for thirty on that. It was the it was it was terrific. Yeah, yeah, it was re- it was really good. In case people don't know, uh, Bill Veck was the uh, weird you know vanguard owner of the Chicago White Sox and tried all, every trick in the book to promote excitement for his team, including during. The height of the disco sucks era in the 70s, he had Disco Demolition Night, had a DJ come onto the field, blow up some disco albums. But the the first of all, I think the pyrotechnics were more than they anticipated. Oh, so a lot more, it, yeah. And then it was done between games of like a Twinight doubleheader, which apparently was a horrible idea. And you had every young rock and roll fan in... Chicago uh, deciding to storm the field, basically. Right. Uh, all kinds of bottles of Jack Daniels all over the place, and they had to forfeit the second game. Yeah. The field was, yeah, the field was um, all burnt up. I mean, it started yeah. on fire. It was uh, it was crazy. He was also the guy who had the great idea of putting um, baseball players in shorts. Yes. Remember? Yes, George Orta wearing <laughs> the not only the shorts, but the strangely but those- oversized collars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I guess he was the same guy who, and this is going way back in the day, was he the same guy who put the midget up at the plate? He did. That was Bill yeah. Beck, yeah. Yeah. Little uh, Eddie Goodell, who retired after. Which, by the way, looking back and on it, that. It was bad. Didn't he have a yeah. number like half? Yeah, his, uh, his number was one half. It was yeah, a fraction. That was bad. But can I ask you something? This has always bothered me. Like, as the story goes, he tried the trick. He, quote, unquote, got away with it. The kid, they, they, they couldn't throw a strike to this person who was a, a little person, you know. Uh, being politically correct, I guess. Um, and uh, so he draws the base on balls. They pinch run for him. And the next day, Major League Baseball makes a rule that you can't have midgets play baseball. But to, to which I ask, why not? Yeah, didn't we get That's over that the, with yeah, Jackie the, Robinson? I know. Come uh, on now. Yeah. And and uh, that, that, that deserves revisiting. I mean, what if you're... I mean, uh, maybe someone should uh, break out the... Yeah, I was El just Tube about to say. Very, yeah, very he's, he's little. You got to throw strikes to him. Come on, MLB. Switch that rule back. Get, uh, get a posthumous uh, waiver of Eddie Goodell's banning from baseball. Anyway, um, I hope you had fun, David Berg. This was a blast. Great. Yes. And remind uh, people how they get in touch with you, please. The easiest way to call me is uh, dial me up on my cell. It's 508-404-8881. Awesome. David Berg. MVP of today's podcast, no question. I mean, uh, you don't have a lot of competition, uh, but nevertheless. Fantastic job, David Berg. Look him up. He's a great guy. Great guy to hang out with. Great guy to grab a cup of coffee with, whether you have insurance questions or not. Now, how's that? That was outstanding. All right, good. Thank you for listening to the Boston Podcast. If you like this podcast, I hope you did. Please share it with a friend or a colleague. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please pay attention to us. We're nice people. 
Pod617.com studios in Westwood. You can have your own podcast. Check out how to get started at Pod617.com. And for David Berg, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston... You must be the other guy. 